Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Allie and I'm the minister to youth here at Calvary. We are so glad that you've joined us for worship today. If you're new here, we want you to know that you're welcome in this place. The best way for us to get to know you and follow up is for you to fill out a visitor card that's in the pew back in front of you and just place that in the offering plate as an act of worship later in the service. You'll also need a few things as we begin in worship this morning. A worship folder, it looks like this, and then a hymnal, which are also in the pews in front of you. Today we're beginning a worship series called Instructions for Living a Life. As I reflected on this worship theme last night, I remembered the wisdom from some of the most meaningful people in my life, and here's what I came up with. So my mom always says, take one day at a time, and if that's really not working, put one foot in front of the other. She also says, I'm a tree I can bend, which I don't know how that works, but. <laughs> Hank says, if I get mad, I count to 10 before I respond, which has been a really great thing for our marriage. <laughs> and then my dad always said, if wooden furniture was meant to be painted, God would have made colored trees. So these are just silly snippets of things I've heard in my own life. But if you and I were to write our lives instructions, what would they say? And if we were to truly live by those instructions, how might our lives be changed? So this month, we'll be looking at various words that Jesus shared with us about a life well lived. And it is our deep hope that perhaps all of us can become a bit more thoughtful and intentional, not only in what we say we want our lives to be, but in actually living these ways too. So during this series, you'll be encouraged to reflect on your own instructions for living a life. And you'll see at the end of each pew, there's these green colored cards. I know I've laid some out this morning along all the edges and I see some gaps. So if there aren't enough cards on your pew, maybe look for some extras in the pews around you. But if you'll take one of these, hold on to it, and Mary Alice will give us more direction about how we might use these during this series. Now let's join in worship as a family of faith and be open to what God might be telling us about instructions for living a life. And it's the end of our days. 
banners fly o'er us, God's light goes before us, a pillar of fire shining forth in the night, till shadows have vanished and darkness is banished, as forward we travel from light into light. The Lord God enforces the stars in their courses and sun in its orbit obediently shine. The hills and the mountains, the rivers and fountains, the depths of the ocean proclaim the divine. We too should be voicing our love and rejoicing with glad adoration a song that us raise till all things now living unite in thanksgiving to God in the highest Hosanna and praise let us pray Lord, we gather in these pews week after week. We see our friends around us and we give thanks. These are brothers and sisters that we celebrate with, share meals with, and who witness life's major ups and downs with us. But too often we hide from them what we're wrestling with. We, much like Jacob, are afraid. We're lonely, we're vulnerable, and we're too proud to tell what's keeping us up or what's scaring us. Help us to remember that we are blessed by you and that you are with us. Father, teach us to live this life well, even when it seems impossible. Amen. Feed me, fill and feed 
fear surrounds me. You've never failed, and you won't start now. And I will call upon your name, and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you will call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. I am yours and you reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you so that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that you may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. 
Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. A reading from the book of Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And you said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Spirit, loving Spirit, you have chosen me to be. You have drawn me to your wonder. You have set your sign on me.
As Allie said earlier, our worship series for this month is called Instructions for Living a Life. And this first day is about the instruction Jesus gives us in all four Gospels to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as I was preparing for today's sermon, I thought back to a conversation that Josh Caballero and I had had back in the fall. Um, Josh helped to lead some of our book discussions on the color of compromise. And in that conversation, you shared with me about why you feel it's so important, especially for a church like Calvary that is predominantly white, to listen to the stories and perspectives and experiences of our sisters and brothers of color. Um, I'm wondering if you could share with me a bit of that conversation with the rest of Calvary today. Sure. So for me, I think that so much of our understanding of God is really based upon the way that we experience God, and that's based upon our ex life experiences. And because those are limited in nature, there's so much that we just can't completely grasp in certain ways. And so I think, um, you know, especially when we think about in terms of race and other types of privilege, there are things that we can never really experience. And so because of that, I think we're limited in some ways of how we truly love God and how we love our neighbor. And it's hard to love our neighbor if we've never stood in their shoes and if we can't understand our neighbor. And a piece of loving our neighbor then teaches us more about who God is. Um, you and I also participated in a race equity institute this fall that the, the Cooper Foundation and the Waco Foundation hosted. And I remember when you first did that, you came to me and were just processing so much of that experience. Share with the rest of Calvary, how did that impact you? What did you take away? Yeah, so I, I'm grateful to have that opportunity and experience. And so first of all, I'll say that it was overwhelming in so many ways, just the breadth and depth of information, um, kind of the historical narrative of race in our country and what that has looked like, um, but also this recognition that we go through life experiencing very different things, even though it might be the same experience, we view them differently. And so just kind of a simple example of that, you know, one thing that Jen and I do, um, pretty often is uh, drive through certain neighborhoods in town just to look at houses and uh, dream about maybe one day what we could afford or maybe what we'll never be able to afford. And, um, uh, and to be quite honest, um, I hate doing that. <laughs> um, and I often feel like I am an intruder in a neighborhood where I don't belong. Um, and I, I've talked to Jen about it and, and she doesn't feel that way, um, but that is, I, I always have this kind of discomfort um, as we do that. And I remember talking to a friend of mine about this um, who's black and he, he, his response was, well, of course you feel that way. Um, and he also kind of shared the same sentiment, but he actually spoke about it from this, from this uh, place of fear that I've never actually been able to really uh, connect with in the same kind of way. And so I think, you know, Race Equity Institute helped me become more aware of that in a different way. But also on a personal level, I think that when I think about my own experience, um, you know, I grew up speaking Spanish and learning kind of Hispanic culture and identity from my grandmother. And as I grew older and we, my grandmother no longer lived in the same house as us, my mom 
really kind of encouraged us to fully assimilate into the dominant white culture. And I think about my experience throughout the years, you know, my, my younger sisters don't really speak Spanish, they're not as connected with that. Um, I think about my time going to college and going coming here to Waco, and I've repeatedly been invited into um, spaces that are, you know, white, um, for lack of a better way to explain that. And I appreciate that. And I, I think, you know, I'm married to a white woman, but I think I recognized after going through the Race Equity Institute that there is so much a part of my identity that I'm no longer connected to in the same way. Um, and that's a piece of you that God loves. Last question, your work is as a community organizer here in our Sanger Heights neighborhood with grassroots community development. Um, I know I'm often coming to you for um, perspective and wisdom in that area. Tell us, how does your faith impact your work in our neighborhood or how has it been impacted by your work in our neighborhood? Yeah, so I think like so many of us, I view my work as a calling. Um, I think that as Christians, we are called to serve in the places where we are. And sometimes that means giving and doing for others. But I think that, you know, um, a big part of that is really just walking alongside others. And in my role in the neighborhood, I really get to build relationships and hear people's stories, um, but also hear their concerns and hear the sort of things that they dream about and want to see here in this neighborhood. And um, I don't to even use uh, I don't like to even use the word empower because I think it gives me too much language, even though that's the language that we would use. But I think in a lot of ways, what I do is to help people recognize the strength and power that already exists within themselves, within themselves to bring about the change they want to see in the neighborhood. And so my faith is directly connected to that. And I think my work um, has also shown me the value and importance of community and what that really means in a different lens. We talk about that often, I think, at Calvary. But to really think about, you know, beyond terms of just community, diversity, inclusion, what that really looks like. You know, I think the work I do really gives power back to people in some ways that brings about equity um, in a different way. And um, I think that's, it, in some ways, it's shaped my understanding of community and what it means to really be in the kingdom of God. Josh, you are a person who I really believe loves God and loves your neighbor. And then you challenge all of us to do the same. So thank you for sharing with us.
now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in one of my favorite poems by Mary Oliver, that's on the front of our worship folder today, she says, these are the instructions for living a life. Pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. In another poem by Wendell Berry, he writes, you mustn't wish for another life. You mustn't want to be somebody else. What you must do is this. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. I am not all the way capable of so much, but those are the right instructions. I've been thinking a lot lately about the end of life. I think many of us at Calvary have. At the end of the day, what do I want people to say that my life was about? What are the instructions I might offer, like Mary and Wendell, for a life well-lived? And most importantly, am I actually living them? In today's text, in Luke 10, a lawyer approaches Jesus and asks him, in a sense, the instructions for living a life. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what must I do to experience life to the fullest, life with you, life that will never end? And in many sermons I have heard, this lawyer tends to get a bad reputation. He's critiqued for testing Jesus here, which I think is fair. But I also think it's important to note that the lawyer does seem to be curious here. He seeks out Jesus and finds him, and he's not critiquing Jesus from far away. He is asking a question face to face. And so even if he is trying to put Jesus to the test, I think there's at least some part of him that is hungry to know, to really know what a life of faith might require of him. I love what Caroline Lewis has to say about this lawyer. She says, he reminds me of how often I need to ask the same question, how unassumingly I can default to certainty about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how often I fall into anticipated patterns of behavior without ever stopping to wonder if I'm truly embodying my beliefs or am I operating with rote and routine convictions. I feel like I need this lawyer these days, she says, to keep me aware, to keep me vigilant and persistent, because it's so very easy to slip into the comfortable, especially when it comes to a story like this. It's so easy to want to be the heroine. It's so very easy to want to be the one who has all the answers already. But I'm convinced more than ever that the question of the lawyer is the question of our faith today. We need to ask it over and over again, especially when we don't want to. And I never want to, but I need to. And I will because the story reminds me to trust in Jesus' answer, an answer that forces me to answer for myself. And in the end, that is what faith is supposed to be. 
And so this month at Calvary, we are following in the way of the lawyer in a way. We are asking this question of God, of scripture, of one another, and ultimately of ourselves. What are the instructions I am following for living a life? How do we live a life that never ends? How do we live a life to the fullest with God? Of course, when the lawyer asks this question of Jesus, like a good teacher, Jesus throws the question right back at him. He says, what does the law say and how do you read it? And the lawyer responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Like a student in a spelling bee, he immediately spits back the right answer. And Jesus confirms that it's the right answer, but he's quick to respond that it's not enough. Barbara Brown Taylor says this about right answers. She says, a right answer has never picked up a frightened child or put an ice chip in the mouth of a dying friend. A right answer has never written a check to the Red Cross or pried up stinking linoleum from a kitchen floor in the Ninth Ward of New Orleans. A right answer has never even showed up at the polls to vote on election day or taken to the streets in peaceful protest. It kind of makes you wonder why religious people spend so much time vetting each other on right answers when the truth is that a right answer alone never changed anything. Perhaps that's why Jesus was so quick to say, yes, you have given the right answer, do this and you will live. We often know the right answer, especially in a church like Calvary. Just do it, as Nike would tell us, are perhaps the words we really need to hear. Of course, if it were really that simple, we'd all have this figured out by now, wouldn't we? And yet Jesus admonishes us here to keep trying. The verb he uses here should actually be translated to say, keep doing this. Loving God and loving neighbor are not a one-time occurrence, but something to keep striving toward. And of course, we're never going to get it right, which is why we are to keep doing this, he says, and you will live. And when we do follow these commands, when we do set out to truly love God with all that is within us and to love our neighbor as ourselves, I think we discover something. I think it's something that we can't know from simply saying the right answer, but from trying to live it. And I think one thing we discover is that there's a reason that Jesus gives us these two commandments together, and that's because one of these things really can't take place without the other. That there's something about loving God that is always going to lead us toward a greater love for our neighbors. And there's something about loving our neighbors and being loved by our neighbors that is always going to help us to discover even more of God's love for us. I'm listening to this great podcast right now called Finding Fred. Have any of y'all started listening to that? Y'all go check it out. It's great. It, It takes an inside look into the life and faith of Fred Rogers. And y'all know I love Mr. Rogers, but I had never heard this story about him before until last night. 
It's a story about Fred and his friend Francois Clemens, a man I've mentioned in a sermon before who plays the mailman on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Francois was an African-American man with an incredible voice, and from the moment Fred heard him sing in the church, he knew he wanted him to be the singing mailman in his neighborhood. But when Francois first met Fred, he said he was very intrigued. He began working with Fred in August of 1968, and it took him a while to get used to working with what he calls Mr. Rogers' very unusual positive energy. (laughs) He said he walked on the set and thought, what on earth is a grown-up man doing playing with puppets? (laughs) I just couldn't wrap my head around it. But ultimately, what Francois found in Fred was a kindred spirit a creative collaborator, and above all, a true friend who loved him in a way he hadn't experienced before. He still remembers one day when Mr. Rogers was wrapping up the show the same way he always did, by sitting down on his bench, changing his shoes, removing his sweater. And Mr. Rogers said, you have made it a special day for me. Do you know how? Just by being yourself. There's only one person in the world just like you, and I like you just the way you are. Francois says, I don't know how to explain it except to say that we locked eyes in that moment all the way across this big television studio, and I dared to say to myself, I think he's talking to me. He said, I had heard this man say these same words every time we filmed, But there was something in his voice, something in his eyes that I just couldn't shake. So I went up to him after we had cut filming and I said, Fred, were you talking to me? And Fred said, yes, Francois, of course. I've been talking to you for two years now and today I think you finally heard me. Francois is now 74 years old. He's interviewed in this podcast, and he still can't tell that story without becoming emotional. He says, there was such a divine explosion between us that day. I can't explain it any other way. It was inside of me. It was outside of me. It was in him. It was in our eyes. I saw divinity, and I've never experienced anything like it since and I just collapsed in his arms. You see, there was something about the love of a neighbor that helped Francois experience the love of God in flesh. It changed his life. And Fred kept doing this. He kept loving his neighbors and children and friends for so many days of his life. I would imagine that if I were to interview Fred Rogers today, he would say that loving your neighbor was one of the most important instructions he followed for living his life. The question is, what will that look like for us? We don't have a beloved television show with puppets and songs and cardigan sweaters. But the calling that Mr. Rogers had as a minister of the gospel who put his ministry into this television show, these instructions that this lawyer were given are the same ones that you and I are given today. And so I'd like to invite you for just a moment to picture yourself as the lawyer 
in today's story. Picture yourself walking up to Jesus and asking him, what do I need to do to live a life that really matters? A life that will last long after I am on this earth. And Jesus says, well, what do you think? What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says you are to love God with everything you have, with everything you are, with everything you do, and to love your neighbor in the same way. That's beautiful, Jesus says. Do this. Keep doing this, and you will live. And so the question for us becomes, what does doing this look like for you? What does doing this look like when you wake up in the morning? What does it look like when you walk into your school or into your office or into your work? What does it look like for you here at Calvary or in our Waco community or in our world? What does it look like in your family? What does it look like in that really hard situation you're dealing with right now? What does it look like when you are finishing work or school after a very long day? What do you want it to look like six months from now or even six years from now? What does doing this look like for you? So as Allie mentioned, there are note cards in the pews today with a space for you to respond to this question we are asking ourselves throughout this series. They're green note cards. I don't know if they're at both sides of the pews, but we can pass them over, pass them back. Could someone get one of people in the very back if they don't have one? And we want to give people space and time to genuinely reflect on how you already are or how you want to start living this question. We don't merely want these note cards to be what we believe are the right answers to the questions. We want these cards to inspire us, to challenge us, and to compel us forward in our everyday lives in the ways that we love God and love our neighbors. And so during the rest of worship today, but also for the rest of the month, we'll be reflecting on this question. You are welcome to put your name on your card, but you also do not have to. You can keep it anonymous. But we hope that whatever you write, you would be willing to share with us by hanging it on the string around the sanctuary today. And so at any point during worship today or another day this month, during communion, at the end of worship, you're welcome to take your card, clip it up there, and you can even take it down and add to it from week to week. This can be a work in progress for us. We also recognize that every card in this room will be different. And that's actually what's beautiful about this assignment. Just like we all might follow the same recipe, but each approach it somewhat differently by adding a bit more spice or a bit less sugar, a few more chocolate chips. We know that each card will look different even though our end goal is the same. Grady Nutt, a Christian comedian, once made this observation a bit before his own death. He said, I believe that the essence of living is this, to come to the brink of death 
and to look back across your life and with a solid smile on your face to say, wow, I'm really glad I did that. What would that look like for you? Do that. Keep doing that. And you will live. And so, God, I ask that in these moments you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, that you would compel us to move forward in what it looks like for us to truly love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to truly love our neighbor as ourself. God, we know we're never going to get this perfectly, and yet I'm reminded that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And so I ask that you would continue to be our companion on this journey as we seek to know what it looks like to follow you and to live lives that last long after we do in this world. We ask all these things in your name and for the sake of your kingdom here. Amen. At the end of the day, we can't follow the instructions for living a life without also following in the ways of Jesus. And so if you'd like to talk with someone more about what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary today. Maybe you'd like to become part of our faith community here at Calvary, where we seek to follow Jesus together in all the ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. So however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back ready to visit with you and pray with you as we continue in worship. We will walk 
Betrayed. In each of the Gospels, Jesus knows that his earthly life is coming to a close. There is pain and grief on the horizon, both for himself and for the disciples. But as he speaks into this moment, Jesus instructs the disciples, keep eating, keep drinking, keep going. For those of you who've experienced profound grief, this can be a struggle unto itself. In such times, eating and drinking can become a burden, a discipline of the will. Yet this meal will be more than bread and wine. In fact, it will be like no meal they've ever had before. Jesus himself will provide the fare, his own body and his own blood. Jesus is giving instructions for living, even as he is about to die. Though I die, he seems to say, I do so that you may live. So take the bread and eat. Take the cup and drink. Let it root you in the reality of my sacrifice. And in the eating the bread and drinking the cup, let it provide the sustenance you need to live this life in body and in spirit. And so in celebration of Jesus' life and in remembrance of his death, we come to the table to follow Jesus' instructions on how to live a life. We come to eat and drink and to remember that on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. 
And he said, take this and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In his final instructions for living to his disciples, Jesus ordained these three actions. Eat. Drink. Remember. Remember. Friends, you're invited to come to the table. We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in. Just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. Come meet this motley crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves. There's no one unwelcome here. So that sin and shame that you brought with you, you can leave it at the door and let mercy draw you near. Come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. To the thief and to the doubter, to the hero and the coward, to the prisoner and the soldier, 
to the young and to the older, all who hunger, all who thirst, all the last and all the first, all the paupers and the princes, all who failed, you've been forgiven, all who dream and all who suffer, all who've loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who's been let down, all the lost you have been found, all who've been labeled right or wrong, to everyone who hears this song. Come to the table. Come join the sinners. You have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. Come to the table.
reflecting on this question of what are the instructions for living a life that lasts well beyond me. Um, I've seen a few green cards going up, and I love that. You're welcome to take a card with you if you want to reflect on it this week, but we hope you'll, you'll bring it back as we continue asking ourselves this question throughout the month. Um, also, I've been in Atlanta for the past couple days for a meeting with CBF, and you may have seen on social media or through email that they are completing a survey across our fellowship, and they want as much participation from local churches as possible. And I will admit I had been putting it off as well because we all love one more survey in our email. Um, but I finally did it this weekend, and it asks really good questions that I think are worthy of all of us considering, both about Calvary but also about our broader fellowship. So I really want to encourage you to fill it out. The deadline is tonight at midnight. So, you know, nothing like waiting until the last minute. They'll say, well, Calvary's that church of procrastinators who got theirs in at 11.59. Um, but it really, it just takes about 10 minutes. You could do it during the halftime show tonight. Um, but I, I hope many people will, will check that out. I will post it on the Facebook page. Um, I hope you'll look at the announcements about all the things that are coming up in the life of Calvary. Several things coming up on Wednesday nights for the next few weeks. And then lastly, as is our tradition, when we take communion, we also receive the Samaritan's Fund, and that goes toward emerging needs in our church and in our community. It is used often and well, so thank you for giving generously to that. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining lights along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. Along the way, or if you lead me, I cannot stray. Lord, let me walk each day with thee. Lead me, O Lord, lead me.